Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm broadcasting this evening with the uh, Change Montgomery County Radio Network, and I'm here with Tom Furlman, our founder of Change Montgomery County. And uh, we are uh, tonight. We're going to dissect uh, what a great year, 2015. So we are we're here to uh, talk about all that's happened in the world, locally. Uh, state uh, statewide and uh, talk about some culture and try to make sense of what happened and then maybe talk a little bit about what's in store for 2016. So, hey, Tom, welcome. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? It's great to be on the show tonight. It's and it's great to have you. We, uh, you know, I know sometimes during the holidays uh, we we disconnect from social media or you know our phones or our computers, but. Um, I think that uh, you know, being an introspective person, I, I think that it's important that we, you know, figure out what happened in 2015 and talk about some of these events that may shape the future of our country, our, our in our world, and you know, all this stuff is important. It all ties back into what we're trying to accomplish with Change Montgomery County to bring people into the mix of uh, the affairs of local government to get people involved. In the process, so uh, I'm excited to have you, and I think that this will be a fun conversation, and we can look back and reminisce and talk about all the great things that occurred. Well, there's an awful lot that did occur. Everybody that I talk to says, "What is going on?" Yeah. Seems as if the world is turning upside down right before our eyes. I, I think I would say history is being made as we um, as we live it here and now. It's really in a an amazing time to observe locally, state, nationally, and, and, you know, globally as well. Well, I'll start, you know, I'll start with myself. Um, and being that, that I, <laughs> it's our show, so we can talk about whatever we want. But um, I I had an opportunity to, to meet you back in January. And uh, sort of, we, we sort of had a serendipitous um connection and and then it and it worked out and when you were in the beginning stages of putting together this awesome project um that's still very much so in the infancy stages of where it can grow but um you know we we had an opportunity to meet and i think that interaction really um changed my life as a person cuz not only did i gain a new friend but um you you really took me under your wing and um you know and you said hey here's some ideas for you to grow not only um professionally um politically uh but you know spiritually so um i, I think that our friendship and i you know i i know that this is really not part of the overall conversation of the current events but i think our friendship really helped blossom this program brought us together uh for for common interest and uh you know what a year it's been, and it's almost been a year since I've gotten to really know you and your family. And I just want to say, Tom, thanks so much for um, being a guiding light, for 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 being someone, a voice of reason, and a and a really great friend to me and to Kim and to the kids, and for um, giving giving me the guidance that I that I need um, each and every day. So, and I, I appreciate that. Friendship means a lot, and I think as we grow older, um, we may not have many friends, but the friends that we do have, that we, we know that we can count on them because we know that they're going to be there for us when we need them most. So I just want to say Thank thanks. You. Thank you. Yeah, and I really appreciate that that encouragement. Um, 
those who have heard my personal story of tragedy and triumph as a child kind of come to realize that, um, you know, the way that our friendship has developed is really what I try to do with a lot of people is provide compassion and grace and opportunity for them to excel within their unique gifting. Not everybody, not everybody has the same abilities and giftings, and so you really have to just identify that for them or with them and uh, try to invest in those and not hold your own personal giftings and abilities as the guidepost for them, but let them shine by themselves. And you've really done that quite well. You definitely have a talent that um, that I certainly don't have on air and be able to dissect issues like like you do. I'd love to be able to learn to do that. And um, so I really appreciate your friendship as well. No, that means it means something that uh, we can put this together. And we've we've worked very hard to transcend our own personal political politically held beliefs, our ideologies, and put what's best for Montgomery County. And and look, I'm a new guy to Montgomery County. I'm a transplant, and um, I'm learning a lot about how local the system works, what what how the communities interact together, the sense of um, you know, the identities of, you know, from down Wheaton to Silver Spring all the way up to the up county where we are in North Potomac and Germantown, Gaithersburg. And the whole point of our show is to highlight some really unique stories from people. And we've had an opportunity to do that since we began. And we took on some serious issues. And we're going to do it next year, too. We're going to, we're going to really try to uh, dig deep into how we can strengthen Montgomery County and our individual communities as a whole, and not only that, we, uh, you know, I've grown. I've known that, and I know that um, since we kicked this show off in uh, March, and the first time I came on and told, you know, a really personal anecdote about myself, um, things that I weren't proud of, and something, some things in my past that, um, you know, still catch up to me each day and haunt me, but um, the personal growth um, through. Uh, let's just say our, my the, the talent and the passion that I have for highlighting the good in people um, has really, uh, I, I would say, has really taken hold of me and has pushed the negative in the background. I mean, it still comes up, and sometimes people like to bring it up, but nonetheless, um, I've, I've grown um, as a person, and uh, I just I really appreciate this opportunity, Tom, to use Change Montgomery County to uh, to, to springboard and to um, to, to to grow um, as Ryan and it just means a lot and I, I I just I know I say that over and over again but it it truly does it means a lot to me it means a lot to my family and it means a lot to to um, to know that you have um, you, you trust me and uh, so <laughs> well thanks Ryan it's you know one of the things that I I try to delineate between is um, individuals doing good in our community versus government doing good. Um, one of my, you know, internal frustrations that I have is this idea of big government doing everything for everybody. Um, I've come to realize that what has happened in, in our community, in Montgomery County, you know, I, I largely grew up here. My first year of high school was here, graduated um, Seneca Valley High School in 1985, and and I've seen it change a lot. I've seen it go from a small country town where the you know, Great Seneca Highway ended at the end of the football field at Seneca Valley High School. Um, it was a small town, and things have changed so much. And one of the things that I'm saddened by 
is that the local government has gotten so big that what they've done is to take private industry services and do them as government benefits. And that pushed out those that were doing services, such as Lions Clubs, Elks, JCs, Masons. It pushed churches out of being able to do grace-motivated care for people. So now you have a situation, you know, I, I do a lot of work at MCCH, Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless and the Men's Shelter there, my family and a bunch of friends from Seneca Valley and a bunch of friends from my church um, all serve meals there once a month. And, and I've done other fundraising things for them. And what I've seen increasingly is that churches and, and these service clubs are not investing in serving the community, such as through homeless shelters, like they used to, because the government is now doing all of those things. And while we live in a wonderful place where we should step out and do compassion-motivated care and love of our neighbors, we should do those things. Um, I motivate people or encourage people to do them apart from government-directed programs. Um, So that's both the great thing about where we live is people are compassionate and they are gracious. Um, The downside is that government is pushing them out of that area of being able to provide for others. Well, speak, speaking of government, we, we had a lot going on here in Montgomery County in 2015 in our school system. We had a lot going on at our county council level, and we've done a lot to, um, you know, in our, in our education. And there was, there was a, big, a few big stories that really uh, were, were part of the spotlight um, in the last year. And, and, and Tom, one of those stories that uh, the major um, element of Montgomery County was superintendent uh, board members basically not review. Uh, they did not renew his contract, and he up and left and went out and got a better gig, and uh, is making a lot of money. But when Joshua Starr, the former superintendent of Montgomery County Public Schools, left, that was a big deal. We have your kids went to your you know you grew your children went uh, well your children went to was it. Uh, they were homeschooled, but okay. both of my kids were primarily homeschooled. Okay, so, but well, Josh, see, Josh and Paige, they go to Montgomery County Public Schools, so um, we we didn't really know what's going on in the system. I mean, we only we kind of operate at the school level, um, and I'm I'm trying to become more involved in the school system, but it was still covered in the press. And now that we have an interim superintendent, uh, we have the largest school system in the state of Maryland, and we have. Uh, we have a lot of issues to address in the school system, and uh, you know, one is closing the achievement gap, making sure that students who are um, not um, that cannot speak English can speak English in our school systems. And there's a lot of a lot of ground to cover in in education. And Josh Starr leaving was a huge was a huge deal. Yeah, definitely. I wish we had our friend Lori Halverson on here with us. She is really the yeah. uh, preeminent expert in the county on our education programs. But, you know, I um, my, my two nieces attend um, one of the schools up in Damascus, Maryland, and something happened up there with one of the uh, janitors uh, yeah. where he was, was caught um, inappropriately uh, with uh, a child. And the 
their her parents are the children. You know, my my uh, my wife's sister. I'm trying to figure out who it was mm-hmm. now. Um, wasn't fully informed of the situation until well afterwards. So, you know, I don't think these things are intentional, that we're not informed. I think we have a massive school system. I think that it is outstanding. I'm a product of our great school systems here. But you know what? I'd love to be able to is quadruple the salary of our teachers. <laughs> I know that's crazy, right? I mean, we don't have well, the money to do that. But, right. But you know, I, I come from business consulting. I, I work for a consulting firm, and I advise businesses and governments on how to increase their strategies, increase their their performance. And one of the things we often do is consider hiring the best and brightest in the world. Hire the highest talent, the best talent you can find in the world. Well, that often costs money to do that. So I would love to find an innovative, creative solution to draw the absolute best and brightest around the world right here to Montgomery County to be part of our school system, the finest teachers in the world. Now, I know we have many of the greatest that that you will find, but, but we're a big nation. I imagine there's some other teachers that would love to come work here. I'd like to find some creative means to be able to provide sabbaticals for them, um, additional training for them, additional funding for them. I don't know how we would do that. We don't have the money. But um, I think we should think about how we want to invest in our school systems beyond what we're doing, both in communication but in the practical education of the students and of the teachers. Well, being a business guy, Tom, I think that we could interface between the business community and to get uh, to to utilize the expertise of um, the community, uh, a very entrepreneurial spirit, and parlay that into our public school system. I'm all about uh, forming new partnerships, especially within the business community, because I believe that um, innovation is the future, and it happens right here at home. And we look, we're right next to the nation's capital. We have a lot of innovative uh, resources at our disposal, especially in science and technology. So, and what better to utilize our public schools as the test, as the testing phase to uh, try out new experiences to offer our students uh, unique programs to accelerate in smaller learning communities and define their niche early and then hone that skill. And then when they're prepared for either college or uh, for a trade, they are ready to go. They are, they are ready to go. And, uh, and instead of less testing, Tom, I, I would like to see more practical application of materials. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be have, if you're going to focus on competitive advantage in business or globally, that begins with children, you know, and educating kids in whatever means that the parents find appropriate. We uniquely homeschooled our children, and that was because our children had needs that were different from other children. So whatever means you choose are, are appropriate. But let's provide the most robust competitive advantage for our children um, that we can find. I, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, I, I look back at my own childhood and um, how I, and, and unfortunately my parents, um, neglected the opportunities of um, hard study and, and focus on education. And by grace, I went on to finish college. But, but um, Well, not only that, know, Tom, you went on to get an MBA a master's degree, and a Ph.D. I just need to throw that in there. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't come that way. And there's many children, there are many children that didn't, 
don't have those opportunities. I came from a very, very poor background. I Sometimes when I speak at events and I talk about um, my experience as a child growing up, I talk about poverty. You know, people in Montgomery County will comment about poverty. Um, you don't know poverty until you live like I lived. There were times when I did not eat. And when you're in that condition, when you're so poor and you're so beat down and you're so um, – you become so negative – that you really can't pick yourself up. Uh, at least that's how it happened to, to us, to me. I couldn't pick myself up, and rebellion sets in, and anger, and, and, and you know, aggression sets in. And these things just distract you from education and from learning and from becoming competitive. I tell my children that all education is competitive. You know, when you go to a business and you present your resume, there's two resumes right there, yours and somebody else's, yeah. and every line is reviewed. And yours better be better than the other person. <laughs> so you better do well in school. Um, I, That's the practicality I, of growing up uh, in this in this era where competition. I think it's important that competition is is a uh, a budding. Um, it's 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 something that drives our. I know it drives our kids, and that we know that in this competitive world, that unless you're Unless you're a step ahead of the of of the next applicant, then you're going to be mediocre, and that's why we drive our kids to push, and we push them very very hard to to excel, to um, to learn all that they can, and to read as much as possible. Um, and I, I and I'm thinking now to the opportunity that I had earlier this year to interview the three teacher finalist for Montgomery County Public School Teacher of the Year, um, sure. Joe Gann. Yeah, Joe Gannon from Damascus High School, Jill Raspin of Ridgeview Middle School, and Josephine Luster of Chevy Chase Elementary School. And I interviewed them on, um, I not live, but I, I took their interviews and in each, and I had an opportunity uh, to talk to them. Actually, I interviewed Raspin and Luster, and then Joe Gannon I got um, on a record, a previously recorded. And and Tom, I got to tell you that really that experience would change Montgomery County just to hear the passion. Uh, to hear them talk about their profession and how they change lives each and every day inside of their classroom by doing, uh, you know, being a teacher that not not everyone is cut out to be a teacher and to be the Montgomery County Public School Teacher of the Year. I mean, we're talking about the largest school district in the state of Maryland, w- one of the wealthiest school districts and one of the most well-known school districts across the country. To be the teacher of the year, that is a huge honor, and Joe Gannon won, and I'm really – I am I, I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to talk to them and for them to, to, to help me understand why they got into this teaching profession and what they hope to accomplish with it. And uh, Joe Gannon and I, uh, we had a conversation about his passions, and I, I really wish I had – I had the opportunity to speak to his students, um, but uh, I, I heard some stories from uh, – I've read some stories about him, and I mean these are just wonderful people. We have so many wonderful people, not only in the Montgomery County community but all around, and teachers are the nuts and bolts of our society, and my hat is off to them, Tom. It really is. Yeah, yeah that was a really great show. I'd really encourage people to go back to listen to that. I think Joe Gannon is a real inspiration to our community, one of the finest teachers that I, I've heard from, but he's just a really great guy, too, just to listen to. I, maybe what we ought to do is invite him over to the house, and we'll get together and 
sit down and just talk to him. I mean, he's just a fun guy to to listen to. His passion is so infectious. I I felt it when I interviewed him. Um, I was sitting in my car across the street um, from my old office, and we we talked for about twenty minutes. And uh, just those twenty minutes, I I could tell why the the students um, bestowed this honor upon him. And I'm I'm really happy. And I know it's a tough decision, but uh, all three of them would have been very deserving of Teacher of the Year. And Josephine, being a young teacher in the school system, she was fantastic. She had oh, she so was... much. En- oh, she had so much energy, Tom. Yeah, I don't know how. I, if I remember correctly, that was this was just a great show. She worked oh, yeah. so incredibly hard. I don't know that she probably thinks about anything other than her classroom. A really great teacher. Oh yeah, and then Jill Raspin, who is at a middle school teacher. Middle school is a tough year, and you know, you you having kids yourself. We have a middle schooler in our house who's in sixth grade at Robert Frost. It's a these are the transition years. They, they're they're growing. Um, their their bodies are physically changing. Um, they're they're feeling new things. They're having new thoughts. They're uh, meeting new friends. And it's just an overall tough year. And I don't envy the job that a middle school teacher has day in and day out. Yeah, totally. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future, though. The budget that the county is facing is really being slashed. I don't know how that's going to affect the yeah. education budget, their school budget, but, um, man, things are getting tight. Yeah. You know, and I, I should talk to my friend George Leventhal, who, incidentally, I've, I've made a good friend uh, with George because we've invited him on the show, and our politics are probably different, um, being that George is a Democrat, and uh, I'm more on the, the right-wing side or the, the, the conservative side. But um, George has availed himself to be part of the show. And any time that I've ever asked him to join, I should say that he, he has agreed, which I've been very happy about because sometimes it's hard to get our elected officials. But George is very uh, ubiquitous throughout our county, and uh, I, I really appreciate him making time to talk to people um, and because he spent a few hours on our show, and that's hours that he could have been talking with constituents. But nonetheless, um, I was really happy to build that relationship because I could reach out to George at any time and say, "Hey, um, you know what's um, what's happening at the county level? Could you give me an update?" And he gets right back to me, Tom. Yeah, Joe. Uh, you know, George is a great guy. Um, we definitely disagree on a lot of issues. I would say we just we agree on some issues. The one thing we agree on is we love Montgomery County. George loves Montgomery County. He does. He invests in Montgomery County. He works hard on behalf of the people of the county. He's not in um, in office for his own personal gain. He's not drawn by personal ambition um, that I can see. He, he definitely. Uh, loves the community. We disagree on some things, and we definitely disagreed on some legislation this year. The pesticide law was a disaster. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, in a disaster. That, that his his piece of legislation. You know, I I sat before the Up County um, Community Action Board, and and someone from his office came to present, and nearly everybody at that session disagreed with the legislation. Said it was a bad idea. There was no way to enforce it. It it applied regulations to different um, environments, to homeowners versus um, parks and recs differently. It was imbalanced, and the community didn't want it. A lot of people spoke up against it, but yet at the end of the day, 
under Georgia's leadership, the county passed that legislation against the wishes of the people. Yeah. And I think where Georgia and I tend to agree, I think George Leventhal is outstanding for our community. However, there are times that he will push legislation that is not what the people are asking for. Um, oh, I there agree. There are times that he'll do good for the community, too. So um, I, I think one of the interesting things about Montgomery County politics is that we really do have a lot of great legislators here in the community. Uh, Craig Rice is outstanding. I, I, I've seen Craig in the community with his family getting dinner and have the opportunity to chat with him and his kids. He's a great guy. We just differ on the, the legislation, on the the way the county should be managed. Um, you know, If you go back to what I said initially, that the people should be empowered to do good in the community and that the government should do less. <laughs> yeah. and when the government does more, the people are forced out of the opportunity to do good in the community. I think that's where we differ, is that our, our current Democrat friends, while we, we respect them, hold the belief that government is the solution, government should be the big enabler of all things, and hold the purse to providing <clears throat> compassion and solutions. We as, Dem- as, as Republicans generally are lean towards, and yourself being a libertarian, I know, mm-hmm. lean mm-hmm. towards government being out of your business. I think that's the difference. Yeah. I, I do agree. Uh, Craig, Craig Rice, um, when he ran for office, um, <laughs> his, one, his, uh, his opponent in the primary was uh, someone I'm not going to mention on the show who's running for Congress in the 6th Congressional District who runs just about every year there's an election. But... Uh, um, Craig, Craig, don't mention his name, please. Don't mention his name. <laughs> I, uh, you know, and and I'll just get this out of the way. Um, uh, this person, the the model that we have built for Change Montgomery County is a positive model, and we have we have channeled energy and passion, and we have channeled. Not negativity or partisanship, but but ideas and compassion and having the ability to dissect an issue of public policy where we disagree with members of the the county council or the board of education, or we we harness the power of agreeing and help to to push uh, great policies and ideas. But the, I, I feel like. Um, the person who 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 often comes to mind and who has taken some pot shots at me and and others who have questioned his uh his congressional run i just want to say that you know i what's with all the anger stop being right. stop being so angry uh we we can accomplish things without heckling people and without being mean and nasty and i think that that's a much needed or must I think that element in politics is sadly missing, and uh, we've we've gotten used to a bare knuckle style of politics. And Tom, when you and I first talked, <laughs> you said to me, I remember you're like, you know, you said to me, well, you're you're an edgy guy, and uh, you know, you, you you not necessarily tone it down, but you have to channel this into something constructive. And I I just remember, you know, paraphrasing that conversation, but. I think it's important for people to understand that our organization means to do good in the community. We don't want to shout anybody down. 
We want to be able to understand compromise. We want to be able to put our ideas forward in a constructive manner and not be a jerk about it. And um, I, I, I only wish that certain activists in this community who really believe apparently in public service that, that they put their name on a ballot each election, I wish that they would carry that to the finish line and not necessarily every time they they don't have glowing coverage from the media that they attack the source instead of the argument. Um, I, that's that's what I'll say about that. Um, I've invited this person to be part of the show a few times against the better wishes of some people. Um, and I'll just say that uh, I've tried to, to build a relationship. Unfortunately, it uh, it has come up short, and maybe that's my own personal fault. But uh, nonetheless, I just I wish that uh, I could build better relationships and, and not have them torn down. And, and of course, the person we're talking about is Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Donald. Yes, the Donald. The Donald. We'll get Trump. to him. Um. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree. I think we have to understand um, who the enemy is, right? Because yeah. the Democrat, Democrats or your Republican counterparts or those you're, you're running against, they're not your enemies, <laughs> They, no, you they're not. Agree, but you can disagree and be civil. You know, the enemy, the enemy is is ISIS and, and Al Qaeda, and, yeah, and that's the enemy. That when you think in those terms, and you need to balance your dialogue um, to speak on issues that matter to the people. Um, when I thought about running Ryan for the sixth congressional district, um, it it was kind of a it was an exciting exploration, but there was a bit of sadness in it as well. Um, and I know that I made the right decision not to run, um, primarily because I think Delaney cannot be beaten by anybody right now. Um, I, think he's, I, I think he's willing to spend $10 million if he has to. Um, and he has it. Yeah, he's, he's planning on running in 2018 for governor, and therefore he cannot, under any circumstance, lose or even show a weakness in the 16 race for CD6. He can't lose. Otherwise, his race in 18 would be dead. So yeah. he and, and his party are not going to allow him to lose. Um, so there, there was that. But you know, the other thing that kind of saddened me when I looked at it is people were really mad, um, really, really angry. Uh, so angry that they, their people that I met were, were gathering guns. You know, yeah. they... Uh, I'm fine with being a gun owner. Um, you know, I I hold to the Constitution, and I think it's perfectly appropriate that uh, people should be allowed to own and even carry uh, guns uh, themselves. However, uh, when you're motivated through anger and your solution is to arm yourself, there's a trippy, uh, slippery slope there. And, and so when I met with people, the pe- folks were so angry, and I see in the person we're talking about this yeah. perpetual bitterness, this perpetual drama, um, and really kind of saddened me. Um, I see the same, you know, craziness in in our friend uh, Donald Trump, who um, I, I'm just baffled. You know, I didn't like Donald Trump back in the '80s when he was going bankrupt over Four real estate back then. You know, I've never liked him, and now I'm totally flabbergasted by him, and I, I, I just my just turns when I hear him speak about nonsense. I mean, Tom, you look at the last this 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 political year 
um, from you know January until December. And the election, the 2016 election, in the first couple months of this new year of yeah, between January till about April, we there was not a whole lot of politics going on. There was speculations that certain senators or governors were going to jump in, and they did, and that was inevitable. So you know, you started out with Ted Cruz, who who jumped in, I believe was the first person, and then you would, and then you had um, Senator Rand Paul jump in back in April, and then. Um, Slowly but surely, you had all the other, the rest of the candidates make their announcements. And in fact, I think Jeb was the first person to to jump uh, to to announce that he was exploring the, the the idea that he was going to run for governor. And then he announced, I believe, in the summertime. And then Donald Trump came along uh, back in June. And I remember when the Maryland Republican Party invited him to speak at their um, at their annual uh, red, white, and blue dinner on in June. And Kim and I went. And we were, we sat in the back, and uh, and and we watched, and it was it was entertainment because some of the things that he had said were quite funny, and it was but in a funny and sort of a uh, an off colored way where you look at your the person sitting next to you and like oh lord did he really say that, um, but that seemed but the more and more that he went out on the campaign trail, I believe that Mr. Trump has somehow has channeled this anger in this country, and he is the manifestation of the anger that people feel against Washington, that they aren't listening. And people look at Donald Trump and and some of the people who are supposedly principal, principal conservatives, they don't take into mind or, or in, you know, they, they don't they – don't, they don't seem to have a – uh, a, a long-term memory in the fact that only a few years ago he was espousing positions that were antithetical to the conservative movement. You know, you remember that, Tom. I was born in the '80s, and and this guy has never been a conservative. Yeah, no. not at all. He's not a conservative by any means. And I, you know, my concern now is um, I was fairly pleased by. The cadre of candidates that we've initially had for the Republican Party. Yeah, we had seventeen. Yeah, I mean it was it it seemed like a lot, but that was a robust opportunity to sort of examine what the party believed and what the nation was looking for. And it was balanced, it was civil. I mean there was some hard nosed politics here and there, but but it was never hostile to what it is like it is now. And then, you know, Donald Trump comes in. My concern is he is actually going to rip apart the Republican Party. Um, and, and you know, the worst thing you can do for, for countries and for America is we cannot withstand constant shifts from one extreme to the next extreme. Um, you know, I, I was a, a fan of, of George Bush, um, a supporter, but he brought about his governance and, and the war brought about Barack Obama, which was a swing to the far left. Well, the reaction now is going to be a swing to this far right so that you swung off the pendulum from conservatism to fascism. And, you know, I think that the response would be that we would swing back to the left after Donald Trump. It'll be a reaction. It'll be a constant bickering on the halls of Congress between between Congress and the executive. And we just can't withstand these constant extremes we need something in the middle 
that is at least civil. Um, you may disagree, but you can be civil about it. Um, yeah. I was never a fan uh, of having another Bush in office. I think dynasties are wrong for the nation, so I wasn't yeah. supportive of that. But but I am you know a supporter of uh, robust dialogue, and Trump doesn't if provide it, that. If it came down between Jeb and Trump, um, not only would I work for I, I would work to get Jeb elected, despite yeah. the fact that he has some positions that deeply concern me, like his Common Core position, his Amnesty position, and a few others. But I think Jeb is a smart guy who just never lifted off the ground because of his last name. But yeah. even more so is that he's been sleepy, and he was the prohibitive frontrunner, if you wouldn't even call it that, from what, like December of last year until... April or May, until Trump stepped in and started calling everybody names, disagreeing, and and, and you know I'm not that type of Republican. I'm I'm more of an ideas Republican. I'm an I'm an intellectual, academic. Uh, let's talk about policy. Let's let's unwind our disagreements. Democrats aren't the enemy. They're just they just happen to disagree with me. But let's find compromise. But yet, Tom, I saw it on your Facebook. You've seen it on mine. When you start talking about ideas, people seem to think that you're somehow less conservative, but yet they don't hold Donald Trump to the same standards. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that, that really bothers me. We, we have these catch-all phrases like rhino, which means Republican and name only, and it's been co-opted by certain people within the Tea Party movement. And I'm not saying the Tea Party movement is a bad movement because I think when it first started back in 2009, um, it was built through – it was uh, you know, it was hoisted up because of frustration with the overreaching uh, government, and you know, many of my libertarian friends were involved in that movement because they were frustrated with the overreach that government has invested itself into our lives, and we said no more. But then I think that it's gotten out of control, that it's manifested into not a substantive movement, but more so of um, a divisive and, and derisive movement, and. I'm concerned, Tom. I'm concerned about the way that politics um, has uh, taken a windy road in 2015, and I'm a political guy. You're a political guy, and we follow this stuff closely, but I have seen a tone in 2015, Tom, that I'm not comfortable with. I'm just not comfortable yeah. with. It's, it's 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 startling. Yeah, I um, I likewise. You know, I um, it's very, very con concerning – what Donald Trump will say. Um, Becky and I, my wife and I, went to a Ben Carson rally, and, and for obvious reasons, our faiths are very similar to Ben Carson. We really liked sure. him. Um, still very much like him. He's a nice guy. But we went to one of his rallies, and after that decided that, that he would not be the best candidate. Simply he doesn't know the issues well enough. We do like him. Nice guy. Yeah. Um holds many of our values, communicates in the way that we communicate, uh, but uh, just doesn't quite understand the issues as robustly as some of the others. Certainly Rubio fits sort of that middle ground. I, I, I like him a lot. We I don't agree entirely on some of his immigration policy, um, but but I think he would be good. I, I do wish he had a little bit more experience. I like Ted Cruz. Um, you know, I'm as conservative as they come, and, mm -hmm. and he fits mold. Our beliefs are the same. 
Um, so I honestly, you know, and I had a discussion with Dan Bongino when I was thinking about running. He and I talked. Yeah, and, you, and I just want to say, did, you called him up and said, hey, uh, I, I want to talk to you, and you guys talked. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I actually texted him. Yeah. I texted him and I said, hey, can I talk to you? And he knew who I was. Um, yeah. And so we had an opportunity. We actually had, I think, uh, maybe three three or four discussions over you know a month or so. He's a, he's a well-informed guy, isn't he? He's a very smart guy. He's very good. He's very helpful. He's very honest. I, I think we differ on that. He's a little, just a little bit more aggressive than I am, um, and maybe that's why he almost won. Um, he, I'm not sure he listens as much as, as as I might, but I'm a fan. You know, I like him a lot. I think he's. Uh, I, I'm, it's unfortunate that he's not here in Maryland anymore, and that he's down in Florida, and that he'll probably run down there um, going forward. But uh, great guy. Anyway, we we had a discussion, and this was many, many months ago, and he said this was before Ted Cruz was rising in the polls, and he said, I think Ted Cruz is going to be uh, the Republican candidate. He, he, It was his prognostication a long time ago that Ted Cruz would be the Republican uh, nominee. So we'll have to he see He might not happens. be wrong. Dan, Dan Bongino might not be wrong. He might not. Ted Cruz might might get it. Um, uh, yeah, and, if it. You know, I'm that's not my first choice, but... Uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, as a Rand Paul guy, um, can I vote for Ted Cruz? And the answer is probably yes. I'm not going to be as excited as I would be for Rand, but he would be infinitely more in tune with the American people than Hillary Clinton would be. Yeah. You know, I wonder in this election if what's going to matter are the combinations, president, vice president. I, I look yeah. at the country again the Republican cadre, and there are just some great combinations there. I mean, think about like a Rubio-Fiorina combination or a Cruz-Carson or, you know, for me, I, I actually like Carly Fiorina. Um, she's an amazing communicator. We met – Kim and I had the, the opportunity to meet her. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, we were – you, we you know, we were the crazies uh, who said, okay, um, we're going to take the weekend – and go up to New Hampshire, which is the first in the pri- first in the nation primary. And so, Tom, <clears throat> Kim, and I, uh, uh, just a personal anecdote. A very um, great highlight of our year is that uh, we left in June. We went up um, in early June. We we sort of took two weeks and said, "Okay, should we do this or not?" I've never been to New Hampshire before in my life, <laughs> and you know, we just said, "Okay." Um, we had the time. We're going to drive up, and it's about seven hours away. We stayed um, in a hotel the first time, and we actually stayed at a Super 8, and it was like 75 bucks a night. It was absolutely nothing <laughs> to, to write home about the hotel. But you know what? We weren't there for the hotel, and we went up to New Hampshire, and we met Rand Paul there and his campaign. We, we actually went up to, to see the opening of uh, Senator Paul's uh, campaign headquarters in Manchester, and then we drove to Dartmouth College, and we had to we had, we had the opportunity to meet the can, another candidate that I really like, uh, John Kasich. Um, and then we we went around and got to see some of the retail politics. We liked it so much, Tom, that we went back two other times. Is and we went over the July Fourth weekend and walked into two parades, and I had the opportunity to meet uh, 
Jeb Bush, uh, uh, Texas Governor Rick Perry, who was at the, at the time running, and uh, some of the other candidates. And then in two, September, we we met um, Lindsey Graham, uh, Carly Fiorina, uh, George Pataki, um, and and some of the other candidates over in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I got to tell you. New Hampshire is the place for politics. We had a blast. We checked out some of the diners. We saw we met some with, with some of the local people. It's a beautiful state and I I'm glad we took that opportunity to do that. I really am. It was great. It was such a, a fun trip that we took each time. Yeah, that sounds like a great we should do that together next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, do you know Rick Perry gave me a massage once? I did know that. He gave you a <laughs> yeah, massage. Yeah, yeah, Rick Perry. So I was doing a a contract job uh, for the state of Texas, actually for the governor, when Rick Perry was governor of, of He's Texas. He's a great guy. He really is. So I'm in this big, big room, and, and all the legislators are, are talking, and it's all about um, economic development. So I was doing a project for the state of Texas to help with economic development and um, STEM education, how to expand the education system and pipeline students into more competitive roles, uh, how to how to um, build business development, draw more industry to the state. So I'm in this big room with a bunch of legislators and, and everybody's speaking, and I'm taking notes, um, you know, as a consultant. And someone behind me starts m- massaging my my shoulders, and, and really hard, big hands, really a, really strong, kind of hurt a little bit, pulling down yeah. on my shoulder. Big Texas edging. guy. <laughs> big Texas guy. And I look, and it's Governor Perry, mm. and he's giving me a big massage. He's like, "Thanks a lot, Tom, for all the work you're doing." He's getting louder and louder, and then he, you know, you, you can hear him over. Now you can hear him. Thanks a lot, Tom, over all, everybody else in this big room, over the speaker, and uh, this is how Rick Perry entered the room: is that he captured the room uh, by giving me a massage. Well, <laughs> that's quite a story. Um, I had another story. Uh, not a, I, I did not get a massage from Texas Governor Rick Perry, but he did sign a bumper sticker for me that I had still yet to give to Governor Hogan um, that says um, our prayers. And our, he wrote a little message regarding um, Governor Hogan's um, cancer diagnosis and said that he's thinking about him. And that was up in New Hampshire. And uh, I brought a bumper sticker, um, Hogan, a Hogan Strong bumper sticker with me. And uh, he met him, and uh, you know he uh, he signed it. Um, and what a what a what a courageous story of that that took place. Uh, governor Hogan in his very first first year in office, new Republican yeah. governor, a lot of hope. You had him in your house when he was running for governor back last year. Yeah, and, yeah, we did a we did an event for him when he was running, and I. You know, I did all the handshaking, and I passed out all the yard signs, and I talked to people on behalf of him. Um, we had him over to the house, and we did a, an event in the backyard, a little picnic, you know, political picnic. And uh, he is just the best governor. He is a nearly an answer to prayer. I mean, he yeah. has really done such an outstanding job as our governor in the short amount of time, even as he battles through cancer, he is a, a fearless, hardworking man. Hands on. Really, he's just outstanding. And you know what it baffles me is even his approval rating is off the charts. His performance is outstanding. 
yet you listen to people like uh, Mike Miller, you know, yeah. the, the head of the, the state Senate, and he's now talking about um, overturning a number of the governor's uh, vetoes and yeah. says that he has enough of the, the votes to override some of um, what the governor has really helped to improve in the state. I, I just don't understand why um, the Democrats would want to go to to that extreme when you have such a popular and effective governor. Why not work with Governor Hogan rather than trying to rally votes to overturn policy for which the people are supporting? I, yeah, I, I agree. don't get it. I don't get um, it. Larry, Larry's a great guy, really great guy. He's a great guy, and I, I'm going to go on the record and say that I think in Maryland politics, I think he he is much deserving uh, deserving of the the award for Marylander of the Year. I mean, here's a guy who who battled cancer, who passed uh, a, a budget that that made a lot of Democrats very uncomfortable with, and he stuck to his guns. He's reduced taxes. He's reduced fees, and he is combating the heroin problem. He is finding new solutions in education. He has put some great people uh, in some of the agencies around the state, um, namely David Brinkley at the at, at budget and Kelly Scholes, who is a Kelly Scholes. Let me tell you, she is. Oh my gosh, she is a rising star in Maryland, yeah. and and I look for her to to go on and whatever she does, Tom. I'm going to support her. You know, I yeah. think she is absolutely fantastic. Um, my support and, too. Yeah, she is. I mean, she is just dynamic and a wonderful person. And here's a guy who, who, you know, our prayers were answered when he announced that he was cancer-free. He's in remission, and it was a it was a tough year. I mean, imagine that, Tom, battling stage three non non Hopkins lymphoma in your first year of office. Dealing with the Democrats, um, you know, and and then going very public, and he he brought to light um, something so important, and that is the, that that people the, the personal struggles, um, even even people in in, pow, in power like Larry Hogan, who you know you saw the pictures of him at a hospital where he he wasn't the governor there, he was just a guy um, that was looking to get better, and uh, that I saw the pictures. With the small children, and they were very touching, um, and that that showed me. I mean, it really brought him down to a humanistic level. And not only that, well, Larry was always like that anyway. And we knew we knew Larry. I didn't know him well, but we knew him before he was Governor Hogan. And I just his story is so remarkable. And I thank God that he is in the place that he is in now. Well, we definitely need to continue to pray for his health. And you know, I would even go so far as to say that that. Having Governor Hogan in office is essential to the future success of the state at where we are today. He is very much following the plan of handing the government back to the people, giving the people the opportunity to create their own opportunities. That's all people are asking for, and that's what he's delivering. Uh, we really need him to stay there. you know. But I think I think there are actually a couple of good um, delegates out there, a couple of people he's put in office. Yeah. Certainly, Kelly uh, Schultz is, uh, is outstanding. You know, I'm I'm a bit of a fan of of Neil Parrott. Uh, I know you and Neil may not always agree. But, not always. Um, 
you know, but I, I, I like him. I had an opportunity to meet with him at one of his events um, out in Washington County and, and really down-to-earth, genuine family man, traditional um, conservative, maybe slightly right of where I would be, even though I'm probably as right as they get. Um, but I, I'm a fan of Neil Perrin. I, I like Neil. Well, uh, I, I don't agree with everything that Neil does, um, but I believe that he does things that are genuinely adherent to his personally held beliefs and that he has convictions that not many people would have. And he has taken on some serious issues and uh, he has put them to um, – uh, he has applied constitutional techniques of putting them on the ballot. And even though they have failed, um, he has still done the legwork and that deserves – an immense amount of credit, um, but I, I think you're right. We have some great delegates throughout the state uh, that have really, you know, freshman delegates. And my friend up in Eggerstown, Delegate Brett Wilson, who has um, absolutely taken on criminal justice reform and has, um, you know, he sets on um, the heroin task force. Who and we did a show about heroin. You remember that, Tom? That was one of our finest shows that we've done with Change Montgomery County. It was a great show. Yes. Uh, and and after this, I'll, I'm going to post that again just for, so people can listen to. Uh, we had some great people to come on and talk about the, the heroin epidemic. I, I have a new friend down um, on the eastern shore in Talbot County that I met in St. Michael's, um, Andrea Waters, who's uh, the vice principal at, a, at uh, one of their high schools. And um, her son was battling heroin, and we had a long conversation. We were sitting in... Uh, Carson uh, Carson Street Saloon down in St. Michael's, one of our fa- Kim and I's favorite place to go to eat when we're on the Eastern Shore, and we just got to talking. We were at we were sitting at the bar and having dinner, and we just I don't know how it got brought up, but she she told me a very personal story about her son battling heroin, and I asked her. I said, you know, I I, I do this radio show. Um, we're just getting this started, and and I'd really appreciate if you would be willing to share your story. No pressure, you know. If you if you feel like you can't, then I, I understand. But she did. She came on and she talked to us about that. And I think that it's that's what's going to take to combat this is hearing the stories from just regular people in 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 our in our communities all throughout the state of Maryland and and nationwide that this is a serious problem and that we are fighting this together. And and it is a serious problem. And by the way, our lieutenant governor Boyd Rutherford has done a great job of assembling this task force and to executing these uh these strategy meetings all over, all over the state and uh, you know I hope that it's I hope that the work that they're doing is being applied because I'm still seeing people die of heroin young kids kids that are 20 21 years old that are overdosing on this absolutely horrific drug and it's sad because their life is is cut short by and they succumb to the demons and we all have them I mean um Tom, I have my own demons that I struggle with, um, but uh, I, I try to, I, you know, you try to to, to get that to get the, the the help that you need, or that you get people to um, to help you and 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 take you down a path of, of 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 being better. And I just, it's a terrible thing. It really is. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So, what do you think uh, on CD six? What's what's your ah. Yeah, that's your your game right now. Tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> well, that's a great that's a great segue into that. Um, 
So look, we I'd be remiss if I didn't say that um when you were considering the race, you know, you I I don't think people quite understand the bond that we have because it's important and and you know, you and I Tom, we don't agree on everything, but um you know, you're kind of like somebody that if I'm ever having a bad day or if I need some sort of I would say guidance that I couldn't get even from family members and and I and I could go but I could reach out to you because you would understand and you would give me the time of day even in the middle of the night as a just not only as a friend but someone that I know and it would have been very difficult I mean and if when when you were thinking about jumping in I thought okay um Tom going to be my candidate and if if you did not and if you were jumping in, what I would have done, and because I, you know, I've been blogging about this race since um, May, um, yeah. and I've tried to to give everybody equal time, and but I would have probably had to excuse myself from that endeavor. I would have helped you run your race, and okay. even though we had slight disagreements on policy, not not many things, but um, you're. You, you're, you're, I would say, on the conservatives. You're, you're definitely on the conservative side. I'm more of the libertarians. I'm like the the spunky libertarian kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, I, I'm I'm comfortable in my own shoes, and and you're comfortable in yours. But I would have gone out there and waved a sign for you on the corner of Muddy Branch every morning. Um, I would have, yeah, I would have knocked on as many doors um, as I could have. And I would have done everything in my in my limited grasp to um, to, to help you find absolute success in the primary, um, and 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 I would have done it with without ever even mentioning any of your opponents because I would have taken the race and focused that on you. Um, so uh, now that you know when you decide, I was disappointed that you weren't going to run, but you, that's a decision that you took. And I want to say that from my perspective, you took a lot of time. That was I know that you took your time making that decision because I know at times I felt like I, I was trying to rush you to say, Tom, either you do this or you don't. Or, or and, and that's just that's me because look, you know me. I, I'm a politics guy, I, and I think that I have a good understanding of the landscape. But I, I'm still a politics guy, and and you took your time with that. You you gathered people that you trust. In, into a room and ask their opinions, and you ask them three important questions, um, and then you had us over and, and, and to your home, and you took you, you took the people that you trusted, and it wasn't about politics with you; it was about how can you bring hope into people's lives, and I, and that's what really took me aback that it wasn't about politics, and what what I didn't even understand at the time, and I think I do now much better having the time to reflect that you're not. In the race, is that you um, you weren't going to abide by these conventional standards of playing the party stuff, doing you know the all the conventional stuff that we're all um, yeah you know that that we're all supposed to do in these uh, elections. Um, but I'm I'm so I was like, man, he's he's the real deal. Here's a guy that wants to help our community. So well, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Yeah, I. Um, we did form an exploratory committee, and we did go through this with clear analysis, both of me as a candidate, the other potential candidates that I would be running against, uh, primarily John Delaney, 
Yeah. And and really was I doing it for selfish ambition because I wanted to become a congressman or was I doing it because I really wanted to serve people in my community in CD6? And the, the chairman of my exploratory committee asked the question. He said in one of our, our group meetings, in one of the committee meetings, he said, Tom, can you do more as a private citizen than you could do while in Congress? Right. And, you know, the, the presumption right away is, well, I can do more in Congress. But the fact of the matter is that I already serve on a number of boards and commissions. Uh, I was appointed by the county executive and confirmed by the county council to serve on the community action board. I was the up-county representative for low-income citizens. Sure. I, I, I'm a member of a Lions Club, and we do a number of compassionate um, things and tons of fundraisers. Um, as a Freemason, I would do a lot of fundraising. We donate a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah. We give a lot of things and a lot of time. You know, this year we you – know, here's an example. Yes, I could write legislation, and that would be good, and I would feel good about that. And certainly it could be done to do good for other people. But I wouldn't know those people that I was actually doing good for. This year, I filled up my truck full of Christmas presents. And Becky and I and one person drove around to people's homes who were in need. And we delivered boxes and boxes and boxes of Christmas gifts. For Thanksgiving, we went around with a bunch of friends in the back of a big uh, bread truck, and we delivered entire um, Thanksgiving meals, you know, full of huge turkeys and the whole fixings. <laughs> that I know those aren't the same thing, and and people, you know, as a congressman, you could still do those things, but I, I. But it's always under my... the guise of, uh, is this guy or gal is she is she doing this for the political reasons, or is is what's really in her heart? Because once you once you step across the Rubicon into the political sphere, people question your motivations because people are inherently and naturally cynical. Right, right. You should see when when um, when we serve at the men's shelter, we serve those meals I talked about when we started the show. Um, when we started doing that, it was only three or four people that that were with us, and now we have a dozen people or more that either, oh gosh, we have two dozen or more that either make meals or serve meals and make meals. We have more people than we have room for those people to serve. But I never turn people away because when you're out there caring for others, you Mm. go away with your heart expanded tenfold (laughs) from when you came there. And the people that are serving now – um, are growing as individuals in loving their neighbors, and they're becoming better people in general. And they're, you know what? They're doing it all apart from the government. <laughs> they're doing it as private citizens, doing good for their neighbors. Yeah. That was exciting. And so well, <clears throat> choosing to run or not run, I, um, what the committee decided was, Tom, now is not the right time because you can't beat John Delaney. And matter of fact, none of the Republicans can beat John Delaney. <laughs> but there might be a time in the future, and we will explore that again when the time comes. Um, right now, I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying a lot of 
uh, charitable projects I'm doing. One of my new ventures, Ryan, I don't know if you, I think you know about it. You've been over to the house. Yeah. We're actually building a library. Sure. Uh, you've seen my personal library, but we're actually I wish building, I had your personal library. <laughs> we're building actually a community library. People say, well, what about public libraries? You know, why do we need another library when there, when there's plenty of public libraries? Do you realize how much budget and resources are being cut from libraries? Increasing libraries are being required to provide um, tax assistance or resume assistance or laptops and tablets um, to those that come into the library. And all that money that used to go to books is going to other things. I recently read that about 25% of the budget in a library goes to books. <laughs> Probably the greatest invention of all times is the book, the bound book. Yeah. And so we're actually going to create a community library. We have about 3,000 books right now. I think we need about 30,000 to open the doors, and then we'll expand from there. But that's one of my new uh, ventures. And we will focus huh. on literacy programs for adults and children. We uh we do that in our Rotary Club. That's is combating literacy. Um, and and I and Tom, by the way, we have so many books at our at our house that we were looking to donate, and I hope that we can make a donation. Oh, we'd love that. Well, so let me give a plug for the library. Anybody who donates large number of books, you know, fifty or more, um, what we do is we put in our database who donated those. And we keep a record forever that these particular books came from this individual. Um, that's one of the things we do for people. And, and where can people how, – how can people know where to donate them? Where, where will uh, people be? Well, right now, because it's so young, uh, they really got to go through me. Uh, right now, the best way to find me is search me out on Facebook, contact Change Montgomery County, um, I'm doing this as my own private venture, but you can contact me through yeah. the Change Montgomery County, changemoco.org website, uh, the contact page there, or on Facebook, and I'll answer, and I'll drive over there with my big black truck, and I'll pick up all the books. We will record them as your books, and they will be in the library uh, for eternity. Yeah. Well, you know, back to the CD6 race, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you have... Eight candidates total. I don't see any more jumping in, but who knows what could happen before the primary begins. Uh, and the cutoff date, I believe, is February 3rd, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the primary is a little bit up, uh, is is moved up this year from the, the last primary. It's April 26th, um, and uh, you have eight candidates, and you have um, so um, Terry Baker from Washington County for CD6. You have uh, Ami Hober, um, who is a national security consultant and a, uh, a defense consultant. You have David Vogt, Delegate David Vogt from Frederick County. You have, um, uh, let's see, Frank Howard, the former president of James Montgomery County, uh, yep. is running, our friend Frank. And then yep. you have Dr. Scott Chang. You have Christopher Mason, Harold Painter, and um, Robin Ficker, who is uh, a Montgomery County activist and attorney and former delegate from the state of Maryland. And so 
it's 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 an interesting race right now. I would say that there are top three t- top candidates. Um, and if I'm looking at this strategically, you would have you would go down the line of what makes a candidate a front runner, and the three front runner, and it's based upon a couple of different things. One is money. Most importantly, it's money. How much money can you raise? How much money can you can you raise and spend on advertising, getting your name out there, getting your getting the right message, and staff and and volunteers? Then it's grassroots support. Who is willing to show up on Saturday mornings at 7.30 in the morning to your house with signs, with campaign materials? Who is willing to go out to, and do the door-to-door, the real true grassroots? And number three is the media attention, this, this three-pronged approach. You know, Can you get media? Are you being talked about? And how, what kind of earned media are you getting for you – know, are you going on – Radio shows? Are you being mentioned in newspapers? Are you being talked about um, in uh, on television anywhere? So th- I look at I look at those three factors, and I think, okay, who are the th- who, of the candidates that are running? Who are the people that can say that they have the money, that they have the media, the exposure, and the grassroots? Well, it's a mixture, and I'm looking at this, and I'm totally subjective or objectively. Um, Ami Hober has the most money. In fact, her husband um, – I don't want to say her husband, but she has a super PAC that, uh, that, that has helped her um, put out some ads, and which is absolutely within the confines of the law. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, and you know, agree or disagree, um, if you set up a super PAC, I think that that helps. Um, and then you have um, the former – Change Montgomery County President Frank Howard, who has um, who has a very strong friendship with Dan Bongino, um, and he has um, he, some of his, Dan Bongino. I want to say bequeathed his network to him, but he has um, has inherited some of Dan's former network and grassroots to help him. And he also has Sharon Strine, that is his consultant, that was Dan Bongino's campaign manager. And then, of course, you have Delegate David Vogt, who is very okay. well-liked, who is a conservative guy, and who who um, who raised the second most amount of money uh, in the race. Um, and then, of course, you have Terry Baker, who's I want to say, is a very popular Washington County commissioner. And it could be interesting to see what happens because Terry has the possibility of taking Washington County, and if you amass enough votes in Washington County, then it's going to split the difference elsewhere, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where other people make up the vote. Um, you know, whether it be in Garrett or Allegheny or down here in Montgomery County or up in Frederick, who knows what's going to happen? And then, of course, you have Harold Painter, who ran last time and got about f- almost 5,000 votes in the primary against Dan Bongino, who did almost no campaigning. Um, and I've had a conversation with Harold, and Harold was Harold, Harold has a lot of serious policy ideas, and um, and, I, and I personally I like him. He's a, he's a really nice guy, uh, and and he's he's put out some serious policy ideas. I haven't really heard too much from. Scott Chang. In fact, I've heard almost nothing. Not to say that he's a bad candidate, but I just I think that um, Dr. Chang. Uh, I don't know. He just we, that's the person I've talked to the least. Um, and then I had an interview once with Christopher Mason from Frederick County. 
really nice guy, um, but I don't know if he has the name recognition. Um, and then I seem to be in a perpetual battle with Robin Ficker, who uh, who I, I've I've not um, I've not placed him in the top tier category. And that's sort of when the attack started happening, Tom, uh, when he was questioning me and then trying to erode my credibility by posting negative information about me. And look, that's fine. I'm, it's politics. But he, he sort of crossed that barrier and uh, has done some really nasty things. And um, I, I just don't take Robin seriously. I really don't, Tom. And I'm not trying to be rude to him, but I don't take him seriously. He has um, He has little to offer this race. You know, we had Robin Ficker and um, Scott Chang, actually Robin's son as well, over our house for yeah, the same when uh, Hogan, uh, yeah, yeah, Flynn, and uh, when Hogan came. And, and so had an opportunity to hear from all of them, all the people that were running that were here, and I think most of the candidates um, last during that election were at the House, and I made them stand up. You know, if you can't stand up and do a stump speech, give your little elevator moment um, in the backyard during a political season, then you're not ready to run for office. Yeah. And um, I would say, the other than Governor Hogan, other than Larry Hogan at the time, the only person that I was impressed with was Frank Howard. Yeah. Uh, Frank did a fine, fine job. He was poised. He was ready. He had his presentation down. He, he was prepared, and he really uh, took, the, took the moment and shined. Of all the other candidates during that election, uh, nobody else was ready. And so I, if those same people are running now, you know, you have to measure that up. Um, they weren't ready, uh, and Frank Howard was. So, you know, and I know Frank. Uh, we've had we've had many times together. Uh, we've we've broke bread together many times. Sure. I I'm a fan. Um, I I just you know I'm not a, I'm not convinced that anybody can beat John Delaney right now. Um, so I'm. Uh, I'm the, the primary how this is going to shape out. Um, yeah. I don't know who's going to win the nomination. It's probably going to be Amy Hober simply because she has the money, but she's not going to beat John Delaney either, I don't think. Well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, and I know that it's going to be an uphill battle for the Republicans. Um, there's going to be a, a – I think that there's going to be a larger voter turnout uh, in 2016, as it inevitably is during these presidential election years. Um, and 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 Dan and Dan Bongino had a spark about him, but I do agree that Ami that Ami Hober uh, has the edge because of the money, and I think that Frank Howard has the grassroots, and David Vote has name recognition because he had run before, um, and that he is um, in Western Maryland is a conservative district, and David How uh, David Vote is a conservative. And I like David. I like David very much personally, and I like Frank very much personally, and I like Ami very much personally. Um, I'm not a fan of the the attacks uh, that Robin Ficker uh, has been uh, using against Ami Hober, whether he thinks they're fair or not. Um, you know, when you when when Robin suggested that um, Ami Hober's marriage is a sham, I think that that was hateful, That's and it was. 
It was that, offensive. Yeah, that that kind of state, saying those type of things um, disqualify you, in my personal opinion. I and so I, I think I, so too. And 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 Robin Ficker has been putting out the the information about me that Tom that I came on and talked about during our first show um, on the air, uh, where we talked about redemption, and I talked about um, my college indiscretions, and I talked about the uh, my drinking and driving incident that I had. Um, and I talked about the 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 assault that I that I have on my record that uh, has caused me a lot of a lot of heartache, but um, serious introspection and 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 pain that um, I think that that was brought on by um, someone that I wasn't that I was before that that I've I think that I've totally changed who I am today. And if Robin feels the need to um, dismantle, if he feels the need to dismantle my own credibility using negative information about me to boost his uh, campaign, then I feel sorry for him because that's not who I am, and I'm, I feel sorry that Robin needs to do that. Um, but he's always been a bit of a heckler. I mean, he's he's a infam- infamously known heckler at a sporting event, and I don't I, – I just – I feel that that is destructive to the party message. And look, I've talked to many people in and around Montgomery County that have asked me, um, well – well, Robin's signs are up everywhere. I mean, doesn't doesn't that mean that he'll win the primary? And I think people have a long-term memory. I mean, I think Robin could put up uh, 50 more signs, and I don't think that that would help him because people have um, they have an adverse reaction to his style, which is very abrasive, very abrupt. And quite frankly, Tom, I don't know if you're planning to attend the CD6, the first CD6 Republican debate. Um, in uh, in early January, I think it's the seventh. Um, yeah. It's going to be at the Gaithersburg um, uh, Holiday Inn, I believe. And uh, I, I I'm 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 a little terrified to see how Mr. Ficker is going to react in this debate. That's that's all I'm yeah, going to say. I I actually have it on my calendar. I am hoping to attend. Um, I I don't really give him consideration as a serious candidate. He. He can't win the center. You know, you've got to be able to do that. I don't think he can win the nomination, but you can't. You have to be able to win a majority of of both your party and a portion of the other person's party in order to win. And he can't do that. Um, You know, when you and I talked, I guess it's been two years ago. I, I lose track. It was about a year ago. Yeah, well, we talked about having you come on to change Montgomery County and. Right. I think you and I had had lunch. Um, we did. We had it down in uh, where do we? And near where your old office was. We had it at a really great place. It was um, oh, what the heck was it? Where they where they play music down below? Yeah, yeah. I'm drawing a blank at the restaurant. Anyway, don't <laughs> give them. They didn't pay for the moment uh, <laughs> for the advertising. Anyway, so when we talked about it, you know, I had a stipulation. I had one requirement. I knew your history. Right. I needed you to. I asked you to be very honest with me about it because I already knew it. You did, and you were. You were very transparent, and I said, "Okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to start start with baby steps." Because you know me, I'm very cautious about everything. <laughs> I don't take big, grand moments. I don't leap off bridges. I take cautious steps and build from that. And I said to you, "If we're going to do this, your first show is going to be to confess everything." It all has to be out there. You can't hold back. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to hide it. Don't give it, you know, soft names. 
be honest with what you did. And, you know, you rose up to that. And it was I, hard. It, it was challenging. I mean, why wouldn't it be hard, right? I mean, it's it's hard to humble ourselves. But you did that. You did everything that I asked. And we began the show because you stepped out and you, you laid everything on your per, about your personal life on the table publicly. It's recorded. People can listen to it themselves. I think it's probably our first show. Yeah. And then from there, you also did more, is that mm-hmm. now that you had confessed everything, you went on to adapt your shows. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you changed them from from being a little aggressive to being more about the human interest. Remember we talked about Studs Terkel? And how yeah. Studs Terkel, um, you gave me a great to- book that is it sits literally right next to my bed. It sits on my bedstand. I've read it cover to cover. Um, and uh, I have it because there's so many things that I've highlighted in there that I reflect on. He was an absolute perfect interviewer. He could interview anybody, and he could draw out their human interest story. And I said, Ryan, this is the kind of show we need to focus on. What is the story behind the story? And you remember that one show we did where we went to that, that uh, those people's house, and they were having a church meeting. Remember that? Yeah, I remember <laughs> having a church meeting. And that was uh, that was that was the uh, the redemption. And and we we met with the pastor beforehand. And uh, you know, here I am. I come in. I walk in with Kim. It was on a Wednesday night. And oh, that... I didn't know <laughs> Tom. I didn't know any of these people. And uh, you know, I am I'm walking in and telling them my my own narrative. And after the show, just about every one of them had walked up and gave me a hug and said, you know what, that takes a lot of courage. Um, and, you know, you continue serving the Lord the way you just did is, and being honest about uh, things in the past and turning it into a learning experience. And I felt accepted because, um, and I know with this show, we're talking about 2015 um, world affairs, culture, whatever. But um, this was a year for me, too, that I, I felt tremendous growth in who I was because, Tom, there are things in my background that um, people use very much so against me, especially in politics, um, that tried to bring break me down, destroy my credibility, to make me seem as a monster or someone that I'm not. And I'm just like... Hey, listen, I just turned 30 back in November. I didn't have all the answers when I was 20 or 21 or 19 or even 26. And I, I made some mistakes that I'm not proud of that um, that I have tried to use to help other people to avoid the same mistakes. And Tom, you know, I don't know my my kids. They, they, don't, they, they probably don't listen to this show. I mean, they're not going to pull it up on their iPods. But there's going to come a time and, and a place where I'm going to have to explain to them that um, I wasn't the hero that they may think that I am. Because you know, when you're 9 and 12, you look up to your parents and they think, oh my gosh, they could do no wrong or whatnot. And I'm going to have to, to explain that to them, um, some of the things that I'm not proud of. But I can tell you that I'm a stronger person today, because not only because of coming to on Change Montgomery County and and having the opportunity to confess this in a very public way, 
but also because of our friendship and the countless other people who have uh, afforded me the opportunity for a second chance. Um, and I don't want to let them down, and I don't want to, and I, I would never want to do anything that um, that would show that I have. Uh, <laughs> gone backwards and look every day I think about the mistakes that I have made and I think hey listen I can be a better person and I'm going to show the world that I can be a better person whether they they, they think so or not but uh, their politics is a mean and nasty place Tom as you probably have discovered um, when you were thinking about running and uh, that's people like to focus on the negative and tear other people down and I'm that's not me um, so I hope that this this show, Change Montgomery County, has really allowed me to do something that I really feel great about doing, and that is bringing people and human interest stories to the forefront and telling that story. And I hope, and I think it's only going to get better next year. I really do. I agree. You know, one more nugget in there um, hmm. about that show is you did that with Ben Wickner. Um, ben Wickner was the pastor that was there at that meeting. So it was pastoral insight into, you know, your confession uh, of your youth. Ben is the senior pastor of Cross Community Church, which was planted by McLean Presbyterian Church. Um, It's a thriving church in Rockville. Ben Wickner is a personal friend of mine. He used to be a pastor at my church, at Covenant Life Church. Um, So, you know, you couldn't get really any better pastoral (laughs) Um, observations on your life, um, and to do that with Ben, and then with people that are now part of his church, and that you know small intimate setting is is um, an example of of truly humbling yourself. And for somebody like me, the sort of the language that we use as Christians would be that it really models the character of Christ um, in humbling ourselves. And when we begin with that kind of thinking of humbling ourselves, um, like Jesus humbled himself as well, we really take on a different um, perspective on our neighbors, on our friends. And we stop seeing everybody as enemies and people as being made in the image of God and being worthy of being uh, befriended and cared for. But when you you know walk around like, like Robin Ficker or anybody else with a closed fist, when your hands are constantly clenched, if you can observe that, if you can picture in your mind a person squeezing their fists constantly, days on end, eventually your your hands get numb. And when your hands are numb, you can't reach down and pick up your neighbor. You can't grab other people and hug them and hold them. You can't make sense of anything when your hands are numb. So I encourage you know these candidates that are running to loosen your grip a little bit. Don't let go of your values. Don't let go of your policy positions. But don't squeeze your hands so tight that you're ignorant of what the other person's views and opinions are. Um, You actually can't be competitive in the marketplace of ideas when you're constantly clinching because you're so ignorant of what the other person is thinking. You can't be competitive to, to think of ideas to defeat them through reason or intellect. Um, you're just banging your head against the wall as a prize fighter and, and thinking that you're actually going to win and nothing and you're nothing more than a sandbag. Yeah, I mean, as it relates to CD6, I think Robin, some of Robin's ideas would probably be taken 
and digested more palpably uh, if if he wouldn't be uh, <laughs> so aggressive in presenting them. And I mean, if somebody doesn't say that Robin Ficker is number one, um, he reminds me a little bit of Donald Trump in this race. Yeah. Um, and and I, the, Robin uh, Ficker is a smart guy. He's a, a talented attorney. He is. Um, he has stood before the court and fought for very valuable, important causes. He is a noted activist. He has a lot of great ideas. He was uh, on the Montgomery County Council. He is a wise and, cap- and capable person. But the problem is, is that he's living with this clinched fist, and he's attacking everybody, and he's not listening. I actually think that if Robin Ficker would slow down, if he would reason more, and allow his intellect to shine as a talented attorney, he could actually be a competitive candidate. I don't think that I think I don't know if he could win CD six. I don't think he can now, but I don't think he, he's not quite a congressional candidate. But you know, I'd put him back on the county council. I think he would be quite good, and even as a state delegate, I think he would be very good. But he's got to stop attacking people. You know, what he has to do is actually learn from Frank Howard. Frank is a careful thoughtful, well-spoken uh, individual. He, he doesn't go spouting off um, and attacking people. He would just No, and Frank's very likable. You know, Frank... Very, very charming individual. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Frank's very likable, and he's a good man. Um, but, you know, yeah. there's... You know, but... And there's there's many stories, and and nationally, that have defined this year, Tom... I'm thinking back. Look at look at all the things that have happened this year that have really changed history. You have, um, you know, looking back at January, some of you have the the jury selection for the Boston Marathon bomber. You had the NYC police officer turn their back on the mayor. Remember that when they when they turned around and said, you know. Uh, Bill Bill De Blasio. They 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 literally turned their backs because the officer that was shot and killed, along with his partner. Remember Rafael Ramos on the job in Brooklyn in, in last December. Um, they had a funeral, and the mayor of New York City, you know, one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest places in the world, the leader of New York City. They turned their back on him. It was it was remarkable. Um, and then you you look at some of the world news. I mean, back in February, I mean, this is when ISIS really started to emerge as this horrifying, horrifying uh, terrorist organization. Um, you had a uh, Russian opposition leader that was assassinated, and then you know I'm looking at some of these key events. I took some notes about some of the key key things that happened this year. Um, <laughs> New England, they beat Seattle, you know, to take their first Super Bowl. The New England Patriots, they went on ahead. They, they defeated the Seattle Seahawks, twenty-eight to twenty-four, um, in the Super Bowl. Um, the President of the United States, Barack Obama, he went to Congress to ask for authority to fight ISIS. Um, the uh, let's see what else happened. A lot of things. I mean, in pop culture. Look, let's you, you go over to um, you know our is our, our relationship with Israel is now strained because of this president. Wouldn't you agree? Um, well, that's not just certainly with Israel. I, I I'm just startled the fact that we would treat um, 
our historic ally, Israel, in the way that that the president has chosen to to t- treat them. Uh, Netanyahu has been really treated horribly. Um, that's just startling. But that is actually characteristic across the Middle East. I mean, you just think of Saudi Arabia. Um, I deployed for Desert Storm. I served. Yeah. I I was there, and you know the president really snubs his nose at um, you know the the Saudi royal family and the, the Saudi government. Um, he has not upheld uh, the King of Jordan uh, like he should. I mean, think about who the King of Jordan is. Right. He's not just a, a, a political figure. He is a Hashemite king. Um, he, he, you know, when you put the king of, of Saudi Arabia in front of the king of Jordan, the king of Saudi Arabia bows to the king of Jordan. Um, this is a great man. He, he's a warrior, special forces warrior himself, and yet the president just treats him as if he's not consequential. And I, I come to wonder if what's going on is that the president has a characteristic of snubbing his nose uh, in an elitist manner to other world leaders as if they're inferior or not worthy of his time. And it's just caused disaster. Um, you, you can name it from from Egypt to Tunisia to Iraq to Saudi Arabia to Afghanistan. You, you name it, um, things are in disarray when it comes to international affairs, and there's only one person at the helm right now, and you have to ask yourself, is that person, is the current president doing a sufficient job to govern international affairs um, and the state of our nation as it relates to foreign affairs? And I I just have to say, I don't think he is. Things are bad. They're very, very bad. Well, quote Donald. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and moving on into to some world news back in April, um, that world news that happened right here, 40 miles away from us, 40, 50 miles, whatever, in Baltimore City. You had the, the death of Freddie Gray, uh, an African-American, a 25-year-old African-American um, who was – uh, apparently dragged into a police van while screaming in pain, and then during his arrest, um, soon after, you know, he, he he arrived at the police station, he was rushed to the hospital, and he received medical treatment. And then on April 19th, Freddie Gray died after suffering multiple injuries, including his spinal cord being severed. And then protests happened in Baltimore City, um, and then after Gray's funeral, I mean, Tom, do you remember that Monday night when I was, I don't know if you were, but I was, I was glued to the television. Didn't you go kids, down there the next day? I did. It was in my heart to figure out what was going on. It was a Tuesday, and I, so I looked at Kim, I was supposed to be at work, and she said, you are absolutely crazy. She goes, Ryan, do not go down there. Do not do this. And I said, Kim, and and me being the hard-headed person I was, I said, Kim, I have to go down and see what this means. What does it mean for our country? And and it was a little bit of out of curiosity. 
but I think it was in my heart to tell a story. So I went down to to the burnout CBS, and Tom, what I saw was peace. What I saw was anger. What I saw was a a group of people who felt that people were not listening to them. I saw generational poverty. I saw people who lived completely different from you or I. I saw a failing education system. I feel I saw people who felt betrayed by the government. I saw a lack of leadership. But I also saw a lot of stories. I saw the helping hand of a community who said we're not going to tolerate these riots, that violence is not the answer, and we need real solutions. I sat and watched people at that CVS building take out materials, the burnout place, and I saw they they had a big dumpster in front of there, and there was a like an assembly line, if you will, and they had gloves and work shirts on, and they were taking out these items and putting them in, in this big dumpster. And I watch this unfold, and I'm thinking, there, there's so many stories. But I also saw the television cameras. I saw Geraldo Rivera, the sensationalism. And I saw people, I saw media that were standing there just for the story that you knew in a week, that once the cameras went home, and once people left and things died down, that those stories wouldn't be told. But you know... Tom, during that whole experience, I think we learned a lot, um, and that I felt that there was a community that was desperate for justice, that they, that there weren't bad people, but there's a lot of work that we need to do in Baltimore City, cultural work, serious work, and look, you had people injured in the riots, you had, I, 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 it's, it was sort of incomparable to anything that I'd ever seen, because I wasn't around for the riots in the 60s, and I didn't quite understand. My grandparents were. They understood what that meant, and they saw what was happening in Baltimore. And I remember that Monday night, um, and I was watching <laughs> – I was glued to the TV. I mean we saw cars speeding up, the the people in the street, the, the chaos. I mean that was what – I think that's an accurate description, chaos, because that's what it was. And you know we saw people getting arrested. I mean, this was all in real time. Reporters. I mean, it was it, it was it was just tragic. And they were protesting because they felt that an injustice occurred in the streets of Baltimore after Freddie Gray was arrested and was, you know, we don't know what happened. And now those six police officers are on trial. But I did go down. I took Kim and I took Kim down, and we both went down. We watched music. We watched people dancing in the streets. We watched. Sorrow, sadness, I mean, we, there was a spectrum and rainbow of emotions there. But I had to see it for myself, Tom. And I don't know if you remember, I posted pictures of that. Um, I do remember, yeah. Yeah. And that was right when we were getting started to change Montgomery County. And I said, Tom, what can we do with this? And then I turned that into a story and a show about community policing, about how if we can work with our police, if members of the community can take a more community policing model and apply that to our own community here in Montgomery County, and I had some really great people that were even part of the Montgomery County Police come on and talk about that model, um, how that might improve um, the relationship between citizens of the community um, and, and the police department. And I, I think that that was one of the defining moments 
uh, for Maryland, but as a nation. I mean, look, last year we, I mean, we had a lot of racial, a lot of racial tension issues explode within the last couple of years, starting with what Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin, yeah, uh, you know, the young boy that was killed um, down in Florida by um, what the heck's that guy's name? Um, what's that? What's his name? Zimmerman. Yeah, George Zimmerman, the 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 Watchman guy, um, and then we had Ferguson, which was another travesty, and then Baltimore, and you know sometimes you think the media think that they're that they may help by being on scene with the cameras, but I got to tell you, Kim and I actually saw Geraldo Rivera in person, and when he showed up, it was sort of like, we know why you're here, but go home. And the people of Baltimore, I think, felt that too. Turn off the cameras and see what the what's really going on. But I have to say to you, and I think you you and I talked about this. Governor Hogan really showed leadership during those those trying moments. He sure did. He was a huge contrast, you know, to Stephanie Rawlings Blake, the mayor of Baltimore. Um, yeah. They in completely different worldviews and the way they manage things. Um, they are not the same caliber of individuals. The governor did a fine, fine job. He did. Um, in a real period of crisis, he was a great leader. He rose to the occasion. You know, something I I think about all these issues, um, and it's very, it's very easy from an armchair to stand <laughs> back and judge people, um, to judge those that are rioting, to to judge those that are doing harm to others. I, I We can't condone violence. We, we can't condone criminal activity. But we can take time to understand a little bit. Um, we can understand that you really can't grasp a person's life until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Um, having been a person that's come out of extreme poverty myself, in conditions of poverty, and you see this kind of poverty in Baltimore, you know, the shantytown style of poverty exists in Baltimore. And when you live in those kind of lives, those are environments of violence. Uh, they're raw. And, and, and from that, you become very aggressive. You easily become very violent. You become reactive, and it requires one spark to light you off. It's not a reaction to the event. It's a reaction to the situation that you're in. And, you know, the Freddie Gray um, death, um, I would propose that some people react not so much because they know Freddie Gray, because many of them didn't, but because they live in a situation where they have no hope. And when there is no hope, the only place you can do is to react, is to bite back, to fight. Um, so in these communities, we have to stop <coughs> creating situations where government creates handouts, but we need to create hand-ups, opportunities for people to create their own opportunities, not where uh, the mayor decides that she has the budget to provide unlimited housing for for homeless uh, men but rather give those men an opportunity <coughs> pardon me an opportunity to create their own opportunities 
Yeah, I, I, I agree, Tom. And and look, moving moving forward in some of the 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 USA news, we had um, the Boston Marathon bomber, his jury sentence, Sarah Nayev to he was sentenced to death. Um, we had the Deflate Gate. Uh, we had, remember that? I mean, with Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, who who knows what happened in that? Um, and then, of course, you had. Do you remember the? Um, oh gosh, I mean, it, it feels like yesterday. But the beach resort and uh, that the gunman went on the beach and back in June, a twenty-three-year-old guy he opened fire at a resort. Uh, and killed 38 tourists. It was the second tour. Uh, it was the second attack on tourists in, in Tanzania. I mean, that was horrible. I mean, we had a lot of there's a lot of bad the things that happened. This shooting year. at I the mean, church down south. You know, a young man goes into a meeting uh, at a church with Christians, sits among them with pastors there, listens to their conversations about Jesus, and then pulls out a gun. And shoots them. Yeah, that's just hard to fathom. And you know, my heart goes out. Um, you know, these are these are brothers and sisters in the Lord that were martyred by a man filled with a child, a young man filled with evil. Um, I, I know that the media tried to make it into a racial issue because he was white and they were black. But my heart goes out and says these are Christians killed by an evil person that obviously did not agree or believe and hated them. Um, but that media didn't didn't speak to that, unfortunately. June, um, yeah, June was a um, June was a, a a really wild month. June 2015 was a wild month. For the United States of America, for several reasons. I mean, look, you had the the, the mass data collection, the law a law ended phone records collection on June second. Some good news: uh, American Pharaoh, he won the triple crown. I mean, how many times have we seen that? What was it since 1978? A horse had won the triple crown. That was amazing. Um, and then. Like you mentioned, you had uh, a young man, a white male. He opened fire during a prayer service and at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, and he killed nine people, including the uh, reverend and a state senator, uh, Clementia Pickney, and um, down in Charleston. And um, and then later in that month, uh, you had the Supreme Court. They upheld the Affordable Care subsidies. Which was a big deal, and then on June 26, that was this was a huge day in America. The Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriage, the uh, Oger, o, um, sorry Obergefell versus Hodges, that same-sex couples have the fundamental fundamental right to marry, and that states cannot say that marriage is reserved for heterosexual couples, and agree or disagree. Now, um, I've had a lot of time to think about this case, and regardless of my opinion on same-sex marriage or not. I don't know if I would have left. I would have left it to the states to decide instead of the Supreme Court ruling, Tom. Um, yeah. And then, subsequent to the attack, uh, to the killing, 
in South Carolina, we had this big debate about the Confederate flag, and I I, I, feel, I felt like that that almost we lost focus on the debate by focusing because this guy, you know, the the, the white male um, had this Confederate flag, and then suddenly we were we were removing it from the state house, we were we were taking it down. It's a symbol of hatred, and I mean you can interpret the Confederate flag however you wish, but. I really feel like that was almost a distraction. But I mean, did it really bring? Did taking down the Confederate flag from the state of South Carolina bring any solace to the people whose family members, the nine family members that were murdered in cold blood against somebody who sat in their church and only an hour later opened fire with a handgun when he murdered them in cold blood, looked them in the face and shot them? I, I mean. Are we losing focus? I mean, was that really the? Uh, I mean, I understand how some people can feel that the Confederate flag is a hateful symbol, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I just felt like that that was a distraction in the entire, the entire. Just I don't know. I don't get it. These, these are really they're challenging issues. We are facing challenging times where we really have to think through some of these issues. You know, does it really matter that we change the name of Bird Stadium on the University of University of Maryland because supposedly the president was a racist? You know, but um, in his time, um, it seemed to be the right thing. You know, I don't know the entire answer to these things. Like many people, I'm I'm torn on them. I'm not a fan of the Confederate flag. I'm simply not. You know, the the South. You know, I said this to my friends. uh, So when I say this. You know, I'm smiling right now, okay, so I'm chuckling. <laughs> Let a little bit of humor come through on this. The fact of the matter is the South lost the war, all right? <laughs> that's over with. And that flag, the flag should never have been flown after that. So I say that with humor, with a smile on my face, because I really don't typically think about the Confederate flag as being a symbol of violence anymore. I think at one time it was. And at that time, it probably should have been taken down and not flown. But today, it doesn't hold that same meaning to most people, I don't think. Apparently, this young man who shot up this church, um, it meant something to him for which it was evil. So everybody comes to these things with different perspectives, um, and some are quite evil. I'm not a fan of the, the Confederate flag. I, I, I just don't think it's... Is necessary. I, I actually fly the American flag, yeah, um, and, and the Maryland <laughs> flag. Those are the two flags I fly. There's not a third flag that I fly for another allegiance to any other nation, state, or institution. Well, I agree with you. Uh, but but and, they're and, challenging issues, you know. We're facing a time where everything is being reevaluated. Well, there's that's the point. going to be times where people are going to be offended by the reevaluation of the things they hold valuable. So, you know, for somebody like me who, who doesn't think that the, the Confederate flag should be flown, um, I need to be a little bit cautious because I need to think about how my statement or my belief may offend other people's beliefs. It doesn't mean I have to conform to that, but I have to hold respect understanding them. I may not agree. I certainly don't agree in flying the Confederate flag. But for me to go out and start screaming and ranting that um, those who fly the Confederate flag are um, 
Yeah, what did the what did the president say? Guns and and religion. His reference yeah. to guns and religion. Those who hold fast to their guns and religion. That's an, a way to offend people, and we need to avoid that kind of action, and speak with civil dis- disagreement. I. We watched a lot of sadness occur in this country in 2015. And one of those sad moments happened to be happened to take place early morning on August 28th down in the state of Virginia. And do you remember Tom when the two journalists were shot in oh the head yeah. by a gunman while broadcasting live? At like six twenty, you know, six thirty in the morning, and it, by an estranged and disgruntled former employee of WBDJ Seven down in, um, I think it was Roanoke, um, and I remember just watching this on live television. I think I had MSNBC on because um, I always watch Morning Joe, and then they broke live to this. And I'm just—I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I have—I have a few friends who are television journalists, Tom, and I interned at a television station, and there were two people killed that day. Um, Allison Parker and Adam Ward—they died from gunshots to the to the head and torso, and they were killed by, you know, this guy that um, that that had a grudge, and. I mean, what, what what's happening in this country? Right. What's happening? And that I, I sat there and, and watched that, Tom, and and it, I feel like there's a. It's almost expected that we have another shooting every month, or I mean, every other week. We've I feel like a, a college campus is being ransacked by an estranged gunman, or that we're having people shot and killed in a church. I mean, think about that. Think about that. I mean, we have people who are at a prayer service who were shot and killed. And you got to ask yourself, what is happening in America that we we are going down this path? And then after the fact, we we always we it seems like the government rushes in to try to figure out, okay, we have to stop people using guns. And we don't think through these problems. We want immediate reactions without finding the solution and putting our minds together, and then it comes, and then it just turns into politics. And it's like, Tom, is that really how we're going to solve people? Maybe it's the culture that we have a problem with. If we can get beneath the politics, and culture is invariably the talk beneath the politics. If we can fix our culture, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but I think it starts with kindness. And I really do, and I know some people might say, "Oh, that's you know, you're glib or you're naive or that you're you're being silly." But I really think that we have a lack of kindness in this country that's really permeating itself all throughout the world. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a loss of compassion, Tom. I think many people feel what you're what you're saying with the same bewilderment. Um, when I yeah. was running, when I was exploring a run for CD6. I would go around just talking to people. Just you, you heard of you know you you and I chatted one day. Tom, what are you doing? You're going out to 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 just talk to people on the side of the road. Don't you aren't you going to plan this? And um, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. 
And yeah. and I just talk to people on the street, and a lot of what you're saying is what people were feeling. And I think we it comes down to people have lost their dream. They've lost their vision of the future. Ronald Reagan once said, he said, in my own mind, I have always thought of America as a place in the divine scheme of things that was set aside as a promised land. Yeah, we're the shining city on a hill. Exactly. And, you know, morning in America. People have forgotten what America is about, they've forgotten about that dream. He said, any place in the world and any person from those, those places, any person with the coverage, with the desire to tear up their roots, to strive for freedom, to attempt and to dare to live in a strange and foreign place, is welcome to travel to this land. You know, he saw America as the shining hill. He saw this place, this, this promised land, almost in a Moses type of way, um, and I don't think that we have any leaders like that anymore no. that could draw a vision for people. Well, um, We certainly have it right now. Um, you can't, you know, the current president we have, he creates a division between parties by castigating one over the other constantly <laughs> and thinks that that's going to unite people. Yeah. people some people, matter of fact, I would, I would hasten to say half of the nation identify themselves as Republican, and yet he will castigate that side of the population through Congress, and the people absorb that as a president that doesn't understand them. Therefore, we are divided because he created division. You know, Tom, there was many good moments in 2015, and one of those was spectacular. I had an opportunity to to see the Pope um, in Washington, D.C., uh, and we, we stood out on the Capitol lawn, and uh, we, we got a blessing. And that was, as an American Catholic, um, that was that was truly a spectacular moment, and I think his visit to the United States was fantastic. I'm a huge fan of this Pope. I think he's doing wonders for the Catholic Church, and we need a serious <laughs> – we need a, a, a serious overhaul in the church um, to bring new people into the church um, because we Catholics, um, we've taken a bad rap over the years. But, um, you know, as we're winding down this show, Tom, this year had some bad moments. It had some good moments. Um, it, it was definitely the year of uh, people being being offended by by many things, but it was also a year of, incre- of incredible compassion and hope and I think that uh, there's certain words that come to mind uh, when you think of this year. One is Trump. This was the year of Donald Trump. There's no doubt. Um, This was the year of of confusion. ISIS is another another, uh, term that comes to mind, which is very scary. Um, But I think that we have a lot of cultural work to do. Uh, I don't know how this... Presidential election is going to pan out. None of us do, and if you and you, the prognosticators can say what they wish, but um, but I want to think that this year was not totally indicative of our politics. But we grew spiritually, we grew in our faith, and it really comes down to 
many Americans don't pay attention to shows like this or to the politics. They're concerned about families, their, their families, they're about putting food on their tables, about having a, a, a job that pays the bills. And um, and I think that uh, that's what it really matters is, and that's why we at Change Montgomery County, we're looking to help people find that American dream, put it into fruition, and allow everybody to live um, the, the American dream, and we just want to better our community, want to be stewards of our community, and make this a better place to live. Yes, we do. In 1964, Ronald Reagan said, "You and I have a rendezvous with destiny." Yeah. Let it be so. Absolutely. Well, Tom, I appreciate the time that we have spent together uh, this evening. It was uh, we, we talked about a lot. We covered a lot of material, and uh, I look forward to 2016. What Change Montgomery County will do, and uh, and even though people think that uh, things have been slow, um, w- w- there's going to be a lot of things in store that we're going to try to do in 2016, and continue to expand and build on this show and to bring new hope and new life into Montgomery County and to offer our perspective and be part of the conversation. Absolutely, Ryan. Look forward to it. All right. Tom, you have a uh, a wonderful evening. Thanks for your time, um, and uh, I'm sure we're going to talk soon. Absolutely. God bless. Talk to you later. God bless. Take care, Tom. Bye. Bye.